0: All right man, welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode three hundred and fifty. Jason Lingren is with me, and Benjamin Balderson. Uh, we're going to talk about some—I uh, don't know—we're going to call it an old world spiritual tradition, uh, the Norse ideas. Uh, maybe Odinism is the right word, and we will try to draw the lines back to nature because that is foundational to everything. And if we really want to be specific about it, it's sky clock oriented because the foundation of everything in this place we call the world is based on seasons. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a fine good morning it is. So, we finally got some internet back, kinda. Well, yeah, for the moment. Let us get on our knees and pray. (laughs) So, internet came back, but it's been up and down, and we are way, way, way behind. By the way, I will mention, starting on episode 350, I have increased... The size of the episode images, I think the limit's at like 3,000 pixels square. So I hit it in the middle from the 1,400 pixel square I was using. Uh, they'll be roughly, well, they'll be exactly 2,100 pixels square now. Anyhow, welcome, Ben.
1: Thank you, Crow. Thank you. It's a pretty exciting season this year. Uh, so much going on, isn't there?
0: Oh, its it's a world changer, isn't it? But specifically
1: where you are, you're not far from all the fire happenings. Absolutely. I'm dead center. And the uh, last year we got evacuated uh, right when I moved into this property. And so this year we're just sitting there. There's a fire just north of me on uh, Highway 36. So it's keeping us pretty much smog down with smoke. But uh, so far we've avoided the fires.
0: You know, it's crazy with all this open admission of weather modification that no one could possibly seed the clouds to make it rain where the fires are. I think we've been seeding clouds since, do you remember, just like the early 20s? I mean, it is way, way back. Oh, it's only been about 100 years or so. Yeah, so it makes one think, doesn't it? Um, How hard would it be to seed clouds? We see the planes up there doing something all the time. I'm just saying, man, uh, one and one never equals two anymore. It always equals 11. But um, let's jump in here, Ben. Where's a good place to, to start? You want to uh, lay down kind of your religious background? I think you're like most people. Uh, you went through different versions of different spiritual traditions, uh, searching.
1: Absolutely. And, and like most people in this country, I originally, I was born into a Christian family. Um, the only uh, religious organization in the town that I'm from was a Christian organization you know it was a methodist church and then at a very young age my reading capacity was was very developed when i was young so i started uh getting into really odd things and one of the first things that i found was uh, greek mythology and i found the stories in that just fascinating and from there i just moved on and on and it's something that continued all the way into my adulthood where basically any uh religious function that I've been able to go to, whether it's I spent a year going to uh, Jewish schooling and rabbinical schooling, um, Christianity, Native American, you name it. If, I ha- if I've, I've had the chance, I went to their functions and looked at what they're doing, tried to learn from it, tried to match it with the my understanding of the world. And then when I came into my 40s, This is very interesting because by blood, I'm almost entirely German. Anything that's not German is from right around that same area. So it's all Scandinavian. So the last one that I came to, one of the last ones I came to was the Germanic Scandinavian cosmology, which is your your heathen, your Norse. Uh, Most people have at least heard of it with Odin, Thor, and Loki in a comic book context anyways but that was the uh, the cosmology that the people from my area worship and uh, that was really one of the last ones that I came to so it was very interesting um all these other ones while I had found beauty and interesting things in them and truths none of them really seemed to fit very well so I just kept trying and trying until I finally happened onto odinism and went into the deep study of that and at that point everything that's in there just seemed to like an old glove it just it just fit
0: getting much tighter to nature i mean when, when i think of the norse Even the North Mist, it's like one of those things places like the Vatican had to get rid of because it was way too tied to nature. Let's use the example. Here's one for you, Ben. You know how in, in what Marvel has put into the world mind about North mythology is that, well, first of all, the God of Thunder can become a fat, worthless drunk. But, you know, everyone's always going, oh, look, his eyes poked out. There's one eye. But nobody understands what that is supposed to mean. That's supposed to be. One of the meanings of it is it's you're seeing with one eye now. In other words, your your third eye has been opened, you've been enlightened at some level. You don't need to visualize because of the power of the one eye. That's one of the things that's going on. But uh, in, in the Marvel franchise to poo-poo that, by the way, they're totally making fun of the idea of ether, it's an evil black thing or whatever they wanted to put on it, but With uh, Thor, he loses his eye, which should have been representing that he spiritually awakened at some significant level. And in actuality, what they portray is the same old game, Uh, pull it away from reality, pull it away from nature.
1: Absolutely. When you're looking at this process in nature, one of the things I always obviously do is as an alchemist, what an alchemist does is put the mechanics to things. It breaks down nature. And you're looking at it and studying the way it actually works. So as an alchemist, I understand that I need to open up and, and decarbolate the highest oil, which is representative of that high mind. And then that high mind or that highest oil opens up the lowest salt. So what we have going on here is a order of operations in order to achieve the great work something that they did not represent at all and there's a bunch of other representations i mean it's it's a comic book made for entertainment on on the one side it has kept the ideas of odin in the uh, world mind so it's not been forgotten but then on the same token it's also created so much misinformation like if you go and try and look up anything about thor you're going to have to really wade through pages of comic book nonsense, you know, where people like you go in and you start talking to prospective uh, people that would like to follow Norse and they're asking questions like, you know, if, if somebody can pick up Thor's hammer, is he become King and things like this. And this is, this is all nonsense that was just made up by uh, Stanley and for entertainment value.
0: Well, let's be honest here. This is something that gets done over and over again, where if a concept is really important, they'll put some kind of fictional thing out there, and then all of a sudden, that's all your hits, especially on Google.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, we can draw a very good example that I've just kind of thought of based on what we just did with Athan um, who came in and said, look, uh, the sky that's actually with us right now is not represented, and they've created all these clever ways to get people not to look at the sky now what i'm about to say i think is a very good example of Norse ideas, which were very close to nature and they had to be think of navigation across oceans back then how was it done well a big part of how that was done was with the sky clock in other words if you don't understand the the sky clock you can't navigate now let's come up to what athen and i hit on we tried to make the obvious statement that most people are still thinking tropically when they think of the low point of the sun on December 21st and around Christmas, that's another thing we turned it into Santa and then we turn it into the Easter bunny when we get up to the next one coming around the equinox. But the point is um, everyone associates that with Capricorn and it's not Capricorn it's Sagittarius. And so what that means is all the maps we have are complete nonsense They have the Tropic of Capricorn and the Tropic of Cancer. Those two things represent along the actual, visible, provable elongation of the sun um, at its extremes, at the highest and the lowest. At the highest, it'll be up in Cancer on all the maps. And at the bottom, you know, and it's not. It's in Sagittarius. And so what this tells us is that they have been buffaloing people into accepting maps that are, I don't know, something 4,000 years old, that information so far out of time is to be useful to useless to the point where if someone was in a ship and say lightning hit the mask and took out their GPS, they can't navigate anymore. And I'm actually going through my grandfather who was a captain, um, old sea captain in the old tradition. There is a star navigation book and I'm very interested to find that. But you see where I'm going here, Ben, uh, back in those cultures, they were lock, stock and barrel tied to the reality that we can call nature. And that's how they did what they did. And that had to be removed to put us where we are now where we can't even navigate. And even if we tried to use those maps that we get world maps to navigate on the ocean, they would be useless basically.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and they've demonized so many things like even take the uh, swastika, which in our culture was called Odin's Wayne. And what it is, is the, the spin of the big dipper around Polaris, which ties into all the seasons and everything else.
0: And a navigation tool to boot, right?
1: Absolutely. Depending on where Odin's Wayne is, in accordance to Polaris, you know what season you're in and you know what direction you're going to be because it's it's fall. It should be here. This is how it's aligned. Now I've got a good pinpoint for how I'm sitting.
0: Can we somehow draw what I just said into a better picture so people can see the evident fraud, the complete washing of world memory and world mind and the helpless state? That you were left in when you've been separated by nature. So I tried to show that we have this thing on a map. It's the tropics, right? The equator's in the middle. There's a tropic above and a tropic below. The one above uh, is labeled cancer. The one below is labeled Capricorn. That is because at the time that that was true, the sun's highest point for the year would have occurred in Cancer. The lowest point would have occurred in Capricorn. Now, this year, when we get down to the 21st, we will be in Sagittarius and we were in Gemini. I think I think the high point might actually be in Leo again. I'm not sure. It's either um, uh, Gemini. Am I getting this backwards, Ben? Let me think this through. So we're in Gemini So it must be Gemini. I don't know if I'm thinking about this right, because I was looking at it the other night. It's all very confusing. But what that proves is that we have been purposefully pulled from nature. And so our view of the world from the get-go, whether you want to talk about knowing what the world is or how to get somewhere or even what time you're in, it's all been shuffled. And it's not just
1: shuffled randomly. It's 4,000 years old at least. And absolutely understanding that I cannot give you directions to go anywhere if I don't know where you are. That's right.
0: So this pulls us around to what's about to happen in the world, and we'll pull back into uh, the Odin ideas. Uh, As we pass the equinox here, which I haven't even looked up, Um, that's another thing they're doing. They're telling you that if you watch television shows or anything else, or look it up online, they'll tell you, Oh, the solstices are on the 21st of June and the 21st of December. And those equinoxes just by chance are on the 21st of March and 21st of September. It's not true. Um, those equinoxes are completely dependent on your geography. So what's about to happen, um, in, I don't know. Very short amount of time. It's going to be September twenty something uh, when we go through there. We're going to go to low point of the sun again, and everything that got encoded and and sneakily rolled out to put it in subconscious is probably going to be associated with Sagittarius, while the world mind still thinks it's Capricorn. But let's pull this back around. Um, most people hear about you know Thor and Loki and all these other things, and it's gotten to the point where really all they're aware of is the Marvel. Marvel ideas, and as I'm trying to do the episode image for this, it's damn near impossible um, because you're going to get Marvel comics images, which I don't use.
1: Absolutely, and and that's where the world mind has been taken. It's taken this from a, a very real, very natural cosmology that you can look at in the world, and it's turned it into something that's just very entertaining. Like I said, that Thor is your most well-known figure. And uh, there's a couple pieces in it that have some, have some resonance and have some truth like his hammer can return to him and things like that. Um, But for the most part, it's complete beer after that they've in any of these, any book that you read or even comic books, they've got to go and find some realism to put in there in order to make it appealing and make it seem realistic. And, that, and then they go with all their artistic license after that. So they've almost completely wiped any real uh, Norse cosmology out of the world mind. And that's something that's been being done since it very first started. When this first started, one of the ideas is that a thousand years ago, basically, Vikings just appeared on the scene, raping and pillaging and... Just being savages. Now, that contrasts to then most people also have heard of the saga of Eric the Red. Understand that the the Vinland saga where heathens have been coming over and traveling. They've been the world's most premier uh, shipbuilders historically. Now, if you're actually traveling in the ships, this means that definitely you understand Astronomy, you need to understand map making because after this, after you've done it once, you need to be able to recreate your route. So they need to understand map making, they need to understand currents. Now, one of the things that is also represented is anytime Vikings would roll up to a place, they just immediately started killing and raping the local culture. Now, a Viking ship was typically 30 men or less that in a 30 man ship that was that was a literal army that you could expect a king with so we're talking about 30 men or less would show up to a shore and if there's a city there if you just go and start attacking the locals it's not going to take long before you're not welcome before they're immediately setting upon you before you ever reach the shore and all around, around the entire world we find Uh, artifacts, uh, carvings, things like that, because they weren't just running around raiding. They were trading, developing relationships with the local people. And this was happening long before most of the rest of the world was openly traveling. And this contrasts sharply with the idea of somebody that's A literal barbarian that doesn't do anything but run around beating people up and taking advantage of their women and and stealing their stuff.
0: This is a similar tale that we've been told about the Aztecs and the Maya, this one little ship of Spaniards, or maybe there's two took over an empire the size of I don't know what. It's the same story over and over again. But where do you find good source material to actually know something about the spiritual tradition that was with the older Norse Norse peoples, because even today, when I go out looking for Greek and Roman, I could pick one myth and I could get five versions of it in 10 minutes. And they are vastly different. So you play this game where you're always going for the oldest thing you can find. Do you know of places where people can go?
1: So the very first book I, I recommend everybody go to is going to be the A and what the havamal is is the closest thing that Scandinavian cosmology has to a bible spell that h a v a m a l and this is the words of the high one is what it is what it is so this is the messages that odin had throughout all the different uh literatures which you're looking at the poetic edda uh the prose edda uh All these different books that are put together, and then they're taking out just specifically the pieces where Odin is talking. And that's put together in the Havamal. That's going to be the closest thing that we have to a Bible.
0: Is there myth in that, or is it more of a spiritually oriented text?
1: That one is more of a spiritually oriented text, so it doesn't have as much of the myth in it. It's more of an understanding of our people the very first section is and the second section are what we call guest and host rights and these are hugely important in our culture now one of the things that in this is if you show up at my door and it doesn't matter who you are and you've been out traveling i am required i'm obligated to give you first place by my fire a bowl of food and a cup of meat and and this was really very important because where the Where this comes from, you know where our the region, if you were out traveling in these mountainous areas and you happened upon a farm, you might be half dead tomorrow, you could be stuck in a storm, so you're obligated to help other people, and when they're there, there's a very specific set of rules for how you treat them as a host.
0: You mean treating treating human beings as if they're all children of god is that is that the craziness you're talking about
1: that is. That is, and Ben, what countries and/or regions are we referring to here? So the most well-known is the Norse. Most people refer to this as Norse cosmology, but this isn't just Norway by any means. This is the entirety of Scandinavia. This is Germany, Iceland, Greenland, uh, Denmark. That entire region, and then when you move when you move over and you get over into England. That was typically more along the uh, pagan lines where they they were following the green man and things like that. It wasn't as much on the Odinist side. And how far back in time are we talking as far as we can tell? There isn't any real uh, timeline that this follows. The same as uh, there's no markers where we can tell how long this goes. We know that this was uh, A.D., many, many years A.D., but then one of the other issues that we have is, is that typically, like so many other cultures, our culture, this was mostly passed on mouth to mouth. It wasn't so much written. So we don't have too many written sources, typically until the Christianization of the area is where you start seeing things written down in paper. Although uh, rune stones are being found regularly, which depending on where you sit on carbon dating, it's thousands and thousands of years.
0: There was a big runestone rock here in Rhode Island. Uh, It was a big deal and someone came and stole it. And I'm guessing the biggest pickup truck in the world could have never taken the weight of that rock. And so it's all kind of, you know, you see what's going on here, right? For a rock that size to have been moved, someone had to have a barge because there were no tire tracks. However, they did it, they removed the rock and the, the runes on, you could look it up online. I think it's called the Rhode Island Rune Rock. This is the kind of thing goes on. There's a couple places here where the runes absolutely show that Christopher Columbus was a newcomer at best and that everything that was made up about him is just so much cover up.
1: It's very interesting because we absolutely know when Christopher Columbus came, because as soon as he came, he planted a flag, said, this is mine and immediately decided he owns the local culture and the local land. Somehow uh, these raiding, you know, pillaging, raping barbarians have been coming here for thousands of years. And it's only through things like trade or carvings left and things like that. And it's also very interesting that how important these rune stones are, because if, if you look, and this is still something that you can find, they claim, there's many claims that, the Scandinavian area had no written language in any way, shape, or form. And then when you turn around and you find these rune stones with stories on them, that puts that puts the lie to what we've been told for so long as as our entire history has been covered up. And when you take and you look at it, so you look at the Roman Christian expansion. And if you look at a world map, you can see this is a Mediterranean culture. Now, this Mediterranean culture, as they started conquering and I'm doing air quotes the pagan lands and force converting them, then everything started changing, and this forced conversion only happened in the Scandinavian area approximately a thousand years ago.
0: So let's be specific here. Basically, the difference is all so-called peoples treating each other to some degree like they're all children of the creation, and then all of a sudden. Someone flips the switch and says, we're the children of God and you guys bow down to us and they'll start erasing it. By the way, have you ever heard of the Viking Tower in Newport, Rhode Island, Ben? I have not. You should look it up. I used to live, well, I've been going there since I was young, but Newport, Rhode Island is a big deal, even to this day for sailing and you know America's Cups and all these things. But as everyone knows, um, the, the, the robber barons that ran this country all had a big mansion there back in the so-called Gilded Age, but go online and look up Newport, Rhode Island, Viking Tower, and this is your prime example. I've been, they, they don't let you in it anymore, but when I was younger, we used to go in it, and it has a very unique feel to it, but here's the rub. Nobody, not the founders of Newport, nobody knows, seems to know how it got there or what it's for. And by the way, it's clearly aligned to the sky clock. Um, but there's an interesting thing people want to look. It's really quite an interesting looking structure. And somehow from the founding of Newport, which is way in the heck back for American standards, uh, they left it there. And I would, you can't really convince me somebody back in the day didn't know built it or how it got
1: there. Is its age known though?
0: Um, they'll tell you what the, you know, you know, the deal, Jason, I don't think it matters. Um, what I was about to say to Ben is it's aligned to the sky clock. So when we get back to getting our diapers off. And understanding something about this creation and the clock the creator put above our sky, it'll date itself. Um, And in the light of Egypt, it goes on to all the pagodas in, uh, in Asia. It tells you a calculation you can do to determine what age the pagoda was. Because back before the takeover of we're the only godly people here and we'll kill you if you don't bow to us. Before that, the part of history that's been erased, mostly people treated each other with respect. And mostly everything that was built was aligned to the sky clock. And I was going to ask about the, the text Ben said, um, is it your feeling that when we get back to understanding the sky clock, it's just like Greek myth. They're constantly putting little clues in that would allow a knowing mind to deduce the time in which it was created.
1: Absolutely. They, they, they can't not. It's like, and you, you have to wonder, is, is it they're trying to put the clues in or is it that the truth just refuses to be hit?
0: I'll go with that. You see, when you have, like, Islam has a version of it. My worst enemy could come to the door, and if he demands hospitality, then he damn well gets it. Everything else is off the table. It's not how we think in the West. And I can do many cultures, and you just did it for the Norse tradition, where you're a human being. You could die out here if someone doesn't help you, and we recognize that because I'm a human being, and I could die out here. So there is a I, I don't know, i just use the words child of God, people viewing another human being as a child of God, that there is a modicum of respect and way more than a modicum that needs to be proffered. And the part of the world we don't know about, in my view, is a worldview like that. And it was close to nature. All these latter-day religions that came along, the first thing that's always done is the separation from the creation. There's how, you know, you're getting buffaloed. There's how, you know, they're trying to put you on the highway to hell to make a pun um, because they're separating you from you're basically your mother. The creator put this creation here and it's what keeps us alive. And by the way, there's a thing up there called the sun. And without it, we don't get heat or light or food or anything. But we've got to get these. Pagans, because that we're going to make that a bad word because they're close to nature, so we're going to separate them from nature. I was going to ask you about heathen. Heathen and pagan for most minds is not, you know, they're not far apart, but basically what it comes down to is they're people who are living close to nature. And by the time places like Rome and the Vatican are going for the whole enchilada, the very first thing that always happens is they separate from the natural world. And this is proven beyond argument in our maps. Show me a single map that has the Tropic of Pisces or the Tropic of any other thing. Since the Tropic of Capricorn, we've probably come through at least 4,000 years. So how in the hell did all that get buried? And how in the hell are we still looking at old comic book maps that are based on something that was true at least 4,000 years ago? Um, But it all plays into the same thing, Ben. It's the separation of nature, which is why these older traditions matter because they were not separate from nature.
1: Absolutely. They were uh, completely tied in with nature. And the main difference between what uh, the group that would consider themselves pagan and heathen, heathen is typically more mountainous forest people, where your pagans are more your flatland, woods, uh, uh, swampy areas, lakes. That That's really where most of that difference comes down to.
0: Both words taken by the tr- Christian tradition, to make that a bad word, to be called a heathen or a pagan is an absolute insult to the point where someone in all their righteousness will look at someone called that and say, those poor bastards aren't saved. That's how far we've come. That is how far we've come down the wrong road. So basically, heathen would be the mountainous version of pagan, if I'm hearing you.
1: Absolutely. And in our texts, it's very important that both heathen and pagan are going to be more of a rural people. So very specifically, one of the first things that you learn is that Odin says this, it's better to own a small farm or your own farm, even if it is small with just a shack and a couple of goats, it is better to own your own farm than be a beggar to somebody else. So it's understanding that having your own land, not just a house in a city where you have to go to work and you have to, you're still subject to somebody else. Understand having your own land, where you have your own food. The, the idea of the goat is specifically you're getting goat's milk. You're getting, uh, for most people, meat. Um, this is something where you can be self-sufficient. The idea is, is being able to take care of yourself. And that's one of the core uh, values and beliefs of the Scandinavian cosmology is being self-sufficient. We don't pray to our gods in the same way that the uh, Christian cosmologies do. It's generally understood that if you pray to Odin, he's not going to give you anything that you ask for. That It does not work that way. The gods were here, and we're here to follow their path, follow their example. The stories are here in order for you to gain an understanding. So that way you can choose a path based on that understanding
0: we should draw the line because you use the word god so let's be perfectly clear Um, i've spent a lot of time saying the greeks did not believe there was some bearded dude on mount olympus they personified aspects of nature in the same way we give a constellation, a supposed animal shape. Now it can be woven into a story. Now it can be used as the teaching tool. Um, so let's use the example of all the old things that matter. Uh, is there a day of the week for Odin? That's <laughs> yeah, a good example. Is there a day of the week for Zeus? You see where it used to be. And what this proves to us is that they're gonna in some way, shape, or, form align with the so-called seven luminaries of that time to include the sun and moon. And that is going to generate the possibility of having a day, a month, a week, or a year. And so you can see the natural influence that is often personified for the sake of teaching and passing on information, myths and things are woven. Um, but how does how does anyone miss the point when I believe Woden or, or Odin's Day, isn't that Wednesday? Yes, sir. There it is. Thursday would be, I believe, Thursday. Uh, I'm more up to my speed uh, in the Greek ideas, but it's all the same idea, just told from a different perspective.
1: Now, let's look at Woden's Day. What day is Woden's Day? Wednesday. Where does Wednesday sit in the weekly calendar? It is dead center. Now, what type of being is Odin? Because this is another understanding that in our cosmology, not everybody follows Odin. As you said, these different gods represent different things. So we have things like Tyr. Tyr is the god of honor and of courage. And if these are things that are important to you that that resonate with you inside of yourself, these are the things that you look up to, that's going to be the god for you. Where Odin, Odin is a mercurial god. Now, as an alchemist, what is mercury but a solvent? Now, the solvent, what is its job? The solvent or mercury's job is to make the transition between the sulfur and the crystal side or the salt side possible. So whenever you're looking at the great work, you're breaking it down into three things, your sulfur, your mercury, and your salt. Now, The two important aspects in this are your sulfur and your salt. Now, the sulfur cannot enter the salt because the salt is a hard, closed crystal.
0: Do you need to use the additional words that people will understand, spirit, soul, and body? Um, You need to draw the line there so people can follow.
1: Well, right. Okay. So understanding that you've got your high spirit or your sulfur, and then you've got your, your salt soul. Now, the body that you initially burn out is to get the carbon out because your carbon is currently acting as your mercury. But after you burn the carbon out, you're left with your purified mercury. Now, what the purified mercury's job is, is to make the transition from the sulfur into the salt possible. This is why mercury or Hermes is the way or you know Jesus is the way. Anytime it's a mercurial figure, That is acting as a solvent and allowing the transition of the high end into the low end into one thing. So that transitional piece needs to be right in the middle. Where do we find Woden's day? Right dead set in the middle. So we understand that this is, again, representative of the natural order of things.
0: So basically what you're saying is you could describe this as a force of nature. The problem... We can't use gods and stuff anymore uh, unless we take so much time to explain um, that this is aspects of nature. But, um, you know, base, how would you say it? I mean, even if you assigned it to magnetism, electricity and other things, people would start to think about it differently. But basically the salt from what we've come from would be the body. And that's where we get the old phrase, you are the salt of the earth. They're referring to your, your bodily existence. But these are forces of nature, right? Aspects of nature.
1: The body is actually your mercury, your middle part. That's your carbon. When you're looking at the purity of you, this is part of why an alchemist always starts with spagyrics, because everything works the same in nature. You just have to take it, you know, use the rule of correspondence and take it to a higher level at that point. So when you're looking at alchemy, you take the plant and the first thing you do is you pull out the oil. Now, the oil in and of itself, the clear oil, is your mercury. Inside of that oil is a yellowish. Now, that yellow is going to be your live sulfur component. The next thing you're going to do is you're going to burn down that body. And that's going to be your actual flesh, your carbon body. And that is going to actually evaporate carbon. Most people don't realize that carbon does evaporate. Carbon's a very weird thing. Despite being typically considered a uh, solid, it evaporates. So you're going to evaporate and burn out that carbon. And what you're going to be left with is your soul. So your spirit and your soul are your two purified pieces. And the mercury is going to make the transition between those two things happen. The messenger. Right. The messenger. And your actual earth body is going to return back to the earth. The carbon. The water and the cellular material are going to be the three things that do not get included in the great work. When you're making the stone of any particular plant, those are the pieces that get removed in order to combine the other pieces. So we understand when the plant started, the the salt side and the sulfur side are trying to be opposites. They're basically like a magnet. And we've got a South Pole and a North Pole. And the what's binding them together is that carbon body. And so that's keeping these two pieces from trying to get away from each other. Now, what the great work is representative of is breaking that binding and then aligning these two oppositional sides into the same alignment and then putting them back together. So electrically, what we're talking about is you go from a normal conductor to a superconductor. All a superconductor is, is a perfect alignment of all the molecules. So you don't have the same interference that you have with a normal conductor. With a normal conductor, you put energy into one side and it actually travels and bumps. You know, this is the traditional understanding of it. uh, it Bumps the next molecule, so on and so forth until one falls out the other side with a superconductor. It's whatever energy is on one side is on the other side at the same exact time. This is what you're trying to accomplish with the great work is you're literally just aligning the spirit and the soul, which were the same thing to begin with, but through the process of life ended up being spatially oppositional.
0: So it's interesting because I haven't heard the alchemical Trinity explained in the way you just did, but you know, here's an observation, Ben, if we could get back to that history, we don't know anything about when people treated each other with more respect and the the buildings that were getting made and the statues carved beyond imagination in our time, um, a higher minded time, why don't we call it? um, What you have to be able to figure out is that if your whole spiritual tradition is based on A blueprint of nature that allows you to achieve, never overstepping the natural boundary. So basically what that means is that the entirety of existence is tied to nature and probably the least of us, the least able men and women were doing natural sciences and alchemy at some level and i know where you're going to go ben you're going to jump into fermenting right because that is where alchemy probably started for all of us and there's nowhere in the world where there's not fermented things that i'm aware of
1: absolutely you start seeing the fermentation process is your first steps to alchemy how did this get figured out and then the very next thing you start looking at is is air quotes your herbal witch women, well, what were they doing? They were just doing plant alchemy and plant medicine. Now, one of the reasons that today, when we look at these herbal remedies, that they don't have the efficacy that's being claimed, well, part of that is because they are not performing the alchemy or doing the spagyric processes on these plants, which brings them to their epitome. And even the ones that are doing some of these processes, they're only extracting the essential oil or the mercury. Now, what's the mercury's job? The mercury's job is to open the path of the salt and the the sulfur. So you're only taking the solvent in and of itself. You aren't taking any of the component pieces that are actually doing the work. You've basically built a riverbed. And now you've got no river to flow down it.
0: I, I know where you're going. Think, think about this. So, I, I you know how much. <laughs> how much the world would change because there was a British empire. Think about this. I get all these old book listings and there are so many of them that are about fairies. And I know you know where I'm about to go. Think of our good friend, Lauren, who makes the fermented drinks for health. She calls herself the fermenting fairy, which is actually the the correct use. Um, That fairy being related to the natural process of the fermentation. Now go back to all the British writers from, I don't know, the mid to late 1800s, where all of a sudden there's a tooth fairy and all these magical Santa Claus like beings start leading the mind away from nature. What's ironic about that is just before you start seeing all this fairy and goblin writing, leading people into fantasy, um, there are actual books that tell you what a flower means, a yellow flower, a yellow rose means this. But what people have forgotten is in Britain at that time, you got a yellow rose when a yellow rose could be grown. So it was delivered by nature at the time it was supposed to be there. So the meaning attached to both the cymatic color and pattern and what the flower itself represented were tied lock, stock, and barrel to the sky clock. And I'm just pointing all this out because by the time we get up to fairy tales, you can see what's going on. They're leading minds away from nature.
1: Absolutely. And, and then refilling it with things that you can't tie to the natural process because one of the things and you find with this cosmology and with all these cosmologies is is when you gain an actual understanding of the processes that are happening, then it becomes easy enough to tie those processes to nature. When you sit and you watch a, a process happen, you can match these stories up. Now, when they turn and twist them, you no longer ever get that. You're never going to gain higher understandings because, Everything that you see is going to have a disconnect. You're never going to put together the puzzle.
0: I've actually had PhDs in literature and myth badmouth me because I suggested that Greek myth is all about aspects of nature. And what kills me is I always respond with the part of the Iliad where Ajax is killed or I forget, I think it's Ajax and a iris sprouts up. They're telling you, they're giving you a cymatic color. They're giving you a type of flower that will only sprout at one time. And and with irises, that's pretty darn specific. Some irises only bloom for three days. But the point is you've been given the marker. And these guys who came out of the universities are telling me that I don't know my butt from a hole in the ground and it blows my mind. That's how far astray we've been pulled. You know, Ben, you know, the little story. Uh, from Britain, I think, of the little girls that got a camera or something like that. And they actually filmed real live fairies in the garden.
1: I do know that one.
0: Yep. I would not be surprised to look at that and realize that it's a false flag switching major parts of society's minds away from nature. Now there's going to be the tooth fairy and the Easter bunny and all these other things we fake like are true that can absolutely never be tied
1: back to the creation. Yep. Well, and do you know the uh, story of the net from Greek mythology? Do it. Well, the story of the net is where uh, Mars and Venus have an affair. Venus is the wife of Vulcan and Vulcan comes home and finds that Mars and Venus are having an affair. He gets angry uh, and binds them in a net up in the corner of the room. Well, if you follow that story piece by piece, what that is is an alchemical equation. Now, with iron and copper, the thing with Vulcan is you. Well, iron matches to uh, Mars, copper matches to Venus. Now, Vulcan, you need to take as white fire, which is a specific temperature of fire. There's, there's, this isn't just your orange little lighter flame this is some super hot fire this is volcanic volcanic heat now when you reach this heat what happens is is you understand that elements are not a pure thing as we think they are they're made up of numerous molecules combinations i called them right combinations now when you reach this temperature one of those molecules is going to drop out And so now this is not, this iron is not stable like it was before. Now, one of the things that that allows is it to bond to other things in a different way. So when you heat these up and drop this molecule out, now copper is allowed to bind to the iron in a way that it wasn't allowed to bind before. And it will naturally cool into this purplish metal that makes all these little perfect diamonds in a geometric pattern that's called the net. (laughs)
0: <laughs> nature's blueprint showing you what's possible and exactly how it has to be done. Because if your temperature is not right or something else is right, you did the, is not in the pudding, but let's take it a step further. Cause you illustrated so beautifully with the Greek version, which I'm almost certain you could find a version in almost any myth, um, to, to demonstrate the things we're talking on top of already encoding the sky clock, uh, the time of the year and everything. How many people are aware that all, almost all important alchemical procedures have to start in the spring? And if you go look up old things that are readable at some level, if you're not you know very adept at it, what you will find is the more magical what you're making is, almost always depends on not that you just did it perfectly right, but the exact time that you started each step of the procedure down to a single degree or even, less than a degree of the sky clock. Let's address that for a minute, Ben.
1: So yeah, this is this is going to get interesting. When you understand the sky clock, from my perspective as an alchemist, when you look at each of the luminaries, the sun is going to be gold, the moon is going to be silver, and then each of the other luminaries, like I just said, Mars is iron, Venus is copper, so on and so forth. Now, what we have when we look at this is a giant battery with the, the moon as the anode and the sun as the cathode. So what we call this is a photovoltaic cell. Now, what the way a photovoltaic cell works is the cathode is the most stable thing in the cell. Everything behind the cathode needs to be able to degrade. So what's going to happen is the silver or the moon is going to slightly degrade And through that degradation, it's going to release electrons. Those electrons are going to get bound up. And through the Mercury salt bridge, through the Mercury bridge, which is part of why Mercury is the green lion biting the sun, this is making that transition. It's creating the pathway between all those stars in the lion's back and the sun. So what's going to happen is that these electrons are going to flow through that bridge over to the sun. Now this is going to cre- in in the cathode itself this is going to create a change which is also going to now draw over the two ions. Those two ions are going to go over to the sun. Now that this is a complete setup and the now the two electrons are actually released from the cathode and can be used. But the cathode is going to hang on to those two ions. Now through this entire transaction we understand the way things are happening so when we're looking at the sky when we're looking at this the moon is actually impregnating the sun which is why in almost all your older cosmologies um really abrahamic is the only one that breaks this tradition the moon was masculine so like even if you take egyptian where the moon was the penis and um uh, First Nation cultures where they expose their genitals to the moon and that's where impregnation happens. The moon is the one sending over those electrons to the sun and creating a gestation period in which it draws over the ions. Um, and then it becomes usable. So we understand that the same thing happens in order for me to have usable electricity. And the same thing's going to happen in life. So when I'm going to do a procedure, I'm going to do the procedure to match the sky clock, which is where your, uh, uh, greater ceremonies of magic start becoming important. And when we're talking about magic, alchemy is always included in that. Those ceremonies, you pick the salt spot, which is where you're doing the ceremony, the energetic points on the ley line. And then you yourself are acting as the mercury. And you're looking at the sky clock and trying to match up with the sky clock, what you're doing. So if right now is an energetic time where this seed is getting planted, well, I'm also going to want to plant seeds. And then at the end of this cycle, when you pick, I'm also going to want to pick because anytime you're working with the flow, it's no different than being in a ship or being a sailor. I've got the winds above, which is the sky clock. I've got the currents below and then I've got the ship, which I can actually control the mercury. And that's when I align the, the ship to the top and the bottom. Now I'm going somewhere. I don't even have to put effort into it. We don't even have to put the oars out. All right. So we're going to have to wrap up
0: our one, Ben, but I mean, take it even just one little step further to try to tie in people's minds or give them the opportunity to, to consider how critically important it is from the point of view of wanting to be spiritually higher human being um, having your spiritual concerns tied to the natural creation, because anything you did spagyrically, you can spiritually apply to your own life. Um, If you go beyond spagyrics and other forms of what we now call alchemy, um, and by the way, there's dark alchemy and light alchemy like all other things. And when Ben was saying magic, what I hear in my mind is the aspects of nature you can't measure. <laughs> that's that's the way I think of it. Um, like fermentation, you know, there's all these things going on. You, you can't weigh and measure it, but you can call it fermentation. That's pretty magical. Um, but the point I would make is these traditions were all tied to the sky clock. To the world that we live in, to the natural processes that allow what they allow. And all of that was translatable to the spiritual path of a living man or a living woman. Now, I'm gonna wrap up hour one of episode 350, but I'll tell everybody uh, I'm so tired of not being able to use a telescope that I'm looking at new avenues where I can get a darn good scope, hopefully, networked in a place where I can use it year round. From where I am here, and never once have to carry or do any of the things that are killing me now, um, particularly in the situation I'm in where I'm taking care of an older person around the clock as well. So, my hope is that that will come to be. If it does, there will be another portion of the website added on to deal with the sky clock. Um, I will never again put up my work on social media or a place that can claim control and part ownership and all the things they do. Um, but there's all that anyhow, Ben, thank you so much for our one. We're going to all regroup here and come back for hour two of episode 350. Join us at crow triple seven radio.com C R R O W seven, seven, seven radio.com. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy and higher minded new era. There it is, man. Cheers.